Welcome everyone to Track Talk. My guest today is the great Gary Malibur. And today's episode is Fly Like an Eagle, which Gary, of course, recorded during his time with the Steve Miller Band. So please welcome to Track Talk, the incomparable, the great, I can't say enough about this man, the one and only Gary Malibur, right here. Hi, John. Hi, Gary. How are you, sir? I'm fine, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to see you today. Thank you for doing this in your busy schedule. Thank you. I love your, uh, your studio setup. Thank you. And you got two bass drums, one on each arm. I'm here. <laughs> That's right. I, I've got my lefty setup. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. All right. Well, Gary, man, I'm so happy to have you. We'll, we'll get, we'll jump in on this. Um, this is a song that I think every drummer that's that's uh, ever picked up the sticks, or certainly most of them, have dissected and heard this song, and you know, just given you the total tip of the hat, whatever you know. Like this is major, a major accomplishment. This song, so congratulations, first of all. Thank you, thank you. That was a that was a an interesting two months. That should have only been two weeks. <laughs> Wow, man. Well, I, we'll we'll talk about that. I want to talk about those sessions because it in you're alluding to those those uh sessions where you recorded Fly Like an Eagle the album and also what later became Book of Dreams because of all the all the material you guys had. Um but let's let's dive in for a second on Fly Like an Eagle. Um the song, I know Steve had 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 written it a couple of years before you recorded it. I think I saw something from like a midnight special from 73 or something with it, with a, a different rhythm section playing it. Um, yes. Yes. Um, um, I'll shorten that um, without getting into too much detail because he couldn't really get the recording of that, that he wanted. Yeah. And uh, it took that amount of time. He refined it a little bit more. And I think he did some lyric change up. And then finally, when he decided to do this big project, um, he called in Lonnie Turner on bass and me. And uh, we uh, uh, attacked uh, his ideas. We first discussed everything. And we started out of, out of his home up in Novato. He was living up there at the time, Northern California. And what was going to be, I joked about it, what was going to be two weeks of working turned into, hey, can you stay longer? And wound up being close to six weeks to almost a month, two months. And uh, before you knew it, we were attacking all that material that became those two albums. Yes. Wow, man. What a, what yep. a productive, it's unbelievable because both of those records were on their own huge records, you know, and, and, and yes. uh, yeah, I mean, we could, we could spend a whole day talking about how you determine which songs to put on fly like an Eagle and then, and, and why they didn't. And, and then later, then there's book of dreams. that has a, a whole other album worth of incredible material, you know, and, and uh, like what, yes, what the, those two, yes, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to cut you, off. but those two albums carried us for quite a long time. And then it became, Guess what? We're going to be playing football stadiums for the next ten years. Oh, okay, here we go. But the, going, let's stay on Eagle, and and yeah. I'll show you how that all culminated in, into what that became. Because we were doing a lot of homework up at Steve's house in Novato and discussing that project. And um, when we came to the the, the song of Fall Like an Eagle said, I haven't been able to get to track. We want on this thing. And, 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 and my, uh, as soon as I heard it, I did say to Steve, I said, I know what we can do with this thing. It, it, it seems to be pretty straight ahead and it should lie in the world of the B3, the Hammond B3 to be an integral part of this bass B3 guitar, your part, of course, and my drum. And, Steve, at that point, um, located Wahim Young, the Hammond B3 player, yeah. who was 
in town in San Francisco to uh, uh, audition or already be rehearsing with uh, Carlos Santana. And okay. Steve knew what was going on in San Francisco. Said, "Well, let me track him down and set him up for a day in a session." And I said, "I, I think we're gonna we'll get it with that if he if he's that player." And he studied with the people that we've heard he studied with. Oh boy, this is going to work, and it did. And you know, the, 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 once again, that that world of B three, the, the Hammond organ, was you know an integral part of my education. Yeah. And that world uh, passed through my hometown in Buffalo, New York, and it was part of you know Rochester, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Philadelphia, of course. And I, I knew all the uh, the units that were the popular B three units, including Jimmy Smith, Jack McDuff, and Jimmy McGriff, and and that. So that world of music was, you know, I I I had already possessed everything that that world did. Yeah, and it filtered into Eagle. Right, and and playing with Van too. I mean, you know, I I mean, you'd already had that that experience you know, going back f- five or six years before that, where you, you'd had, I mean, not so heavy B3 necessarily, but you'd had that kind of, um, you know, that soulful kind of, you know, background or that soulful experience. My hometown, I mean, I started off at, you know, 16, 17 years old. I was playing a lot of jazz in, in, in the city of Buffalo. And, and that part of, of the country and, you know, Rochester, Syracuse, you know, surrounding area, Toronto, everywhere, you know, there, there was uh, quite a bit of uh, jazz and bebop and swing going on that that we were, everybody was involved in and playing. It's just that I, you know, I saw the other gateway and I started to veer (laughs) off quite a bit into that and the rest what it is. But, that that was all that education that had it not been for that city and that music and all of that that was uh i was ingesting at the time i was just i don't i'm not sure any of this would have happened wow really man all of those influences were right there i tell young horn players i go well i you know i sat there in front of john coltrane four nights in a row and i was watching elvin how was that that's yeah <laughs> at man 15 years old i was like taking that in so that's got to rub off absolutely so. yeah it does it does i mean there's so i you know well we we had this you and i had a great episode uh, of you on live from my drum room a few years ago and we're gonna we'll definitely come back for another one of those because i feel like we just really started to get into it but but it, to your point we'll we'll stay on this fly like an eagle yes. and i i wanted yes. to ask you yeah i mean because there's there's so many things we could talk about gary <laughs> and well, i know you put her away john i'm going to follow okay. your lead sir i will All do right. that i won't take over <laughs> no 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 you're not you're not i i'm letting my mind take over because I, I have a million other things i want to talk to you about but um i guess I, my first question i would ask is how far if you can remember how far into the sessions did you record this song if you if you have any idea or any recollection of of we, we were about we were about three days in uh, it 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 it, was, it pivoted on uh, having Wahim there, yeah. Because okay? okay. me and Lonnie were there all the time. Um, we recorded uh, both "Fly Like an Eagle" and "Book of Dreams" and all that material. That was from um, the CBS studios in San Francisco on Folsom Street. I don't know if they're there yet, but it was uh, you know San Francisco was pretty musical. There was a lot of stuff going on, and we. Yeah. Steve booked that time through Capitol Records at CBS. And, you know, he had booked me two or three weeks and we took over and I was staying at Steve's house. So we're driving across the Golden Gate Bridge every day with our notes and our cassette tapes of everything that went on. But we set up and uh, and uh, of all the songs that came onto those two records, um, Eagle was the only one where it was four guys. Everything else was three. Uh, and it was just the homework that we did between Steve and Lonnie and myself. There you go. All That's right. the only photograph. <laughs> yeah, look at that. And and that and that is from those it says I, I 
I grabbed it from the internet. It says, Fly Like an Eagle yep. recording session, San Francisco 75. Correct. Yeah. So that is, that's... That, um, yeah. that was one of the drum kits I had set up that day. As you could see, they're all somewhat mismatched. But I just went for sound because they all did something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't see any broken cymbals, but there was one in there somewhere. <laughs> yes. I'm known for that one. Yes, they're... They all became a different sound, and I used them. And the, but that was the setup. That that's and that was unfortunately, you know, really the only photograph of that recording, that whole lineup of recordings that we did. I wish there was more. Quite a bit of stuff. Man, I know. Showing the guys and uh, but me and Lonnie and Steve were camped out, and uh, it was a twelve-hour day, and then we rode home with the cassette tapes. <laughs> to listen to what we did and uh did our homework and said should we recut that or do it we got three uh three takes on fly like an eagle so you're hearing part of you're hearing most of take two and some of take three and people have found out that what actually happened on those recordings and they were going that well it was like this is going really well in, in the headphones you're going this is good um, I saw one of the microphone stands beginning to fatigue, and it did. It completed its journey, unfortunately, and then we had to do a we had right. to cut over to uh, where the the thump had occurred over to take three. And luckily, and now we weren't on grids; they didn't exist, and there was no computer. <laughs> but we we kept the tempos, uh, you know. That was all tempo keeping was all inherent in everyone. And we wow. kept everything right, right at the beginning. And, you know, pretty much a hundred percent of all my tracks were all cut that way. We so found the right, the right tempo. I want to just, and, and you've just said this, but I want to really emphasize what you just said in case people watching this, and we have a lot of people watching this right now are not, if for, if for some reason they missed the point that you just made that you took most of take two and then a mic stand, Broke, fatigued. Fell, fatigued. Yes. So you had to take part of take three, and you were able to put the two together because the tempos were so consistent, and no click tracks, no grid, no, no none of that stuff. There was no oh. digital surgery. No, we didn't. No, didn't have it. That's that is oh. magic. That is wow. And you know what? I must say. Steve in those years was very, very, very brave and very creative and encouraged all of that. He really pulled that off yeah. quite well. And and he encouraged that. And he, I even said, anything you want special to go on? He goes, no, just he kind of liked it when I put fills where they may not really – they may – not have been he said just go ahead you know i'm that that's why you're here go ahead just make that work and 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 we will and we did um one other note on all those sessions uh our staff engineer was there he came equipped and it was john fasaro and john was uh, is a good lad (laughs) yeah yeah but a lot of times we were really engineering on top of that so it wasn't your standard like why my bell symbol came out on the, on the course is because I, we grabbed another mic and just stuck it right up underneath the symbol. I said, we're going to need that. It, I don't want to mix it up top like a jazz record. We're going to need that to be predominant. So we did it. Yeah. We took over. Which was, which was, I mean, was that pretty unusual at that time, Gary, to have be that hands-on as the, as the, as the artist, as the, you know. Well, you know, Steve went in there with, with, with a bit of, magic and power because you know he had already established himself very well and they knew he knew how to do that due to his training and working with all of the machinery then i mean when he took all those tracks out of that studio he did all the vocals at home so there he was at home on a little 421 microphone with the compression turned all the way up and that that's why you can hear him breathe I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, he was forcing the the issue. He was he really would pump the uh, the plug in, yeah. whatever it was. He would just like crank it and go. 
I like what that's doing. That's really you can hear me breathe. So you can hear him take breaths in right. between lyrics. You know, where a lot of times you can't hear people do that. So you would just push it. And we would, of course, you know, encourage. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sure. <laughs> wow. Right. That's what the whole thing was, is just to, we just, we, we just went loose. And then um, after we listened back to those takes, you know, it didn't have all of the space, all the celestial sounds and everything like that. And we knew, we said, that track is holding up by itself. And we knew coming out of that studio. Yeah, that, you know, you kind of get the, you know, the hairs on the arms, they, they kind of yeah. go up yeah. a little bit. You know, I can mention that on all the artists they just do. And I'm sure all the other guys, when they hit a track like that, they feel the same thing. I'm sure they do. And we knew, we knew it was in the can. So from there, he, uh, he had fun with it. Yeah. You know, and all of the celestial sounds and everything were put on at the very end. Okay. Steve didn't think the the track had all he wanted that celestial orbiting sound go on and and to be just occurring. And he was really into using his Echoplex, the original Echoplex with his guitar and with all the other guitars that he had and and just keeping them in rhythm and time and spinning them throughout the track. And you'll hear it. And then he had uh, that with the guitar. Then he had a. A very basic Roland, one of the first Roland synthesizers. Yes. You know, I mean, basic. You know, they had the little buttons that you would press down, like they look like little tongues, and it would say oboe. And so he would find what he wanted and run it through the echoplex, and that's what you're hearing. Man. And had fun until he got exactly what he wanted in time with the track. Yeah. It was so, I mean, that, that record was so, the whole album with those sounds and that song in particular, it was so like groundbreaking. And by, I, I remember it coming out in the spring of 76 as a, as a teenager, as a 15 year old and, and go and like, and sonically, when you listen through the headphones, it was the way you mixed yes. it. It was, you know, your, your drums, the, the way they pan the drums. And, uh, it was just incredible. It was, it was, yeah. Yeah, I know that, that you know we would go in, we'd move things around and and uh, and 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 make all that work just by moving a few things. I said, well, you know what, work. I think that that may dominate somewhere in the song, so let's make sure we've got that, so we don't, because we're not going to grab our sound from overheads and make that all work. We have to go in between and we have to dive into something else. Um, that we can we can we can control right so you know it, it was it was it was quite a time and and steve encouraged everyone's input and uh we we uh, did our homework over those tracks and well, and really uh sat with them quite a bit now yeah. there's another story on fall like an eagle now that guitar riff just so you know i'm sure other maybe the guitar world knows this but that original guitar riff came from another song that Steve wrote called My Darkest Hour or My Dark Hour. Yes. And he had that enveloped in that song. And one day when we were discussing what we could do with it, he said, well, I've, this is, I got a, I think I've got a million dollar guitar riff, but I've got it in a $2 song. I want to put that in a million dollar song. I said, okay. <laughs> That's true. That's wow. actually working. Yeah. Yeah. He had that for quite a while. So, you know, I learned something from him. You could really, uh, you know, in, in popular songwriting, you could, you, you know, you could almost get away with a lot of stuff. You could do what you can't do in writing a great novel. You could just, in song, you could just move. You could, you know, we used to call it, we used to joke about it, say, hey, look, we're going to play, we're going to play Mr. Potato Head here. Let's take the eyes and put them over here and the nose and put it over here. And, and let's move the song around. And, work it. And, and we would do that. Not on a computer, of course. We would do that analog. So right. it took a little more time. Man. Well, Gary, just to, to, you know, people that are listening and maybe not watching this, I've got the picture of the drum kit back up again. And just, yes. just like I quickly wanted to ask you, I can see a Ludwig Tom Tom. I can see a Pearl, probably a fiberglass Tom Tom, that silver. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, and a concert Tom. And, a, and another 
looks like a another concert tom next to the ludwig tom um yes uh, those three the white and and the light uh, mahogany and the dark mahogany and that those i've got one drum from every kit and sometimes i would go over to you know pro drum on vine street of course with yeah the, sure with stan and jerry and the guys and i'd find something and i'd go hmm um how much is this? And I just add it, you know, I'd add it. And it was just purely for the sound. Yeah. It was made. A lot of times I would just play them and not retune them and just say, I don't know what it's doing. It's doing something I could record. So uh, I high pitched the little white one up on top perfectly to the key of the tune. Yeah. That we were in. And then the rest of them, I just let them do what they were doing. And, uh, that's so that, how that that's that's yeah. how that's exactly the kit. That's exactly the kit because that white tom is the one that, I mean, they the 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 combination of all those toms together make for just an absolutely beautiful melodic, you know, uh, progression and and tuning. And that white tom is just so it's the perfect high pitched. It reminds me of like a. Um, I used to think you played those tama octabands. Do you remember those uh, octabands, whatever they're called? Well, the octabands are actually on another song called Wild Mountain Honey. Okay, and all right. And tuned every one of them to the sitar, because Steve had a choral electric sitar, and he had the, sympath- uh, the sympathetic strings tuned, and we would tune the octobands, and then I played the octobands with my vibraphone mallets. I see. And then we... As a tuned instrument. There's yeah. about 12 overdubs on that one song, and which started off with just a hat and a click. And, a, and then I said, Steve, I've got 10 overdubs. And he said, go, just do it. That's how he was. It was yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, creatively, he was in a beautiful spot. Everything was yes, and there was an ever a no. And he said, put him on. Just go. Just keep address it and address it, and then we'll see. We'll filter it out later. And it was great. Uh then we had a song called Serenade, and that Tom, uh, on one of my fills, I threw my sticks at the Tom. I just threw them at it. I, I, they were in my hands, but I just threw them at it, and it and it would overpowered the track, and Steve loved it, and we used it in the Serenade song. You'll hear it. It's in there. It's like- I, I know exactly where you mean. It's, it's, you know it's, that one? I, oh, and, I know that song. Absolutely know that song. Let, and, and Steve yeah. encouraged that. Yeah. He said, hey, go ahead. Go. Just, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go. Okay. I said, well, I'm going to pop one where maybe it should be. He goes, no, no, no. When you do it, it's where it should be. I said, okay, thank you. Yeah. Right. It's, it was a, it, a that marvelous song. Yeah, it's so out front in the mix on that song. And I have to tell you, I didn't mention this to you before, but that was originally the song. I thought about that and Take the Money and Run as the, as the sort of track talk songs. But I But I, I still came back to this song because of there's the isolated drum track that we've talked about, which I'm going to play a little bit of. And just, yeah. I, I just feel like this song, it just encapsulates your creativity. I mean, all, all your songs, though, there's always something creative about what you do, but this song has so much mojo to yeah. it. You know, it really does. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my really, really good comfort zones because I come from that world, Yeah, you know, and I've told many of the rock, Many of the rock guys that I've worked with and played for, and in, including Eddie Money and, you know, all of the guys, I say, you know, I, I hear my rock and roll a bit different. Mm-hmm. And how I can define that is it's 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 I use a word. It's more like soul rock. And I it doesn't just pertain to me. I just take a combination of the records that I've loved from the past, as we all do. We have all have our comfort zones, and I just kind of grab on to that essence and pull it in to what I'm doing. And, and you know, I can get off the story here for a minute, but for a minute, when I did the Eddie Money stuff and I Bruce Botnick was producing, who he produced the Doors, I said, Bruce, you know, the way I feel about Eddie is he's kind of more an R&B singer than he is a rock singer. I mean, if you could just get that perfect mixture of the two. I said, do you mind if I play my drums through that world first 
before we go into the rock world. I can pull it through and apply it a certain way. And that's why his material came out the way it did. It felt that way. Yeah. So same thing happened with Steve, you know, and we discussed it and he was open to everything. I'm going to pull from here. Let me pull from there. Let me grab it from yeah. here and, and, you know, swirl it around sort of like a little blend, like a cocktail of the, all of the stuff that, you know, we've heard and we've grown up with. I have to blend it up into another, another drink. <laughs> well, I have to think, all- well, and you know, when I've, when I've done these track talks with other um, artists such as yourself, you know, the, the common uh, theme that seems to come through is the chemistry of, of all the parts together, you know, and, and how there was just a, a magic time. Uh, and I, I've always thought that about this record and, and all the songs that came from these sessions from, you know, from fly like an Eagle book of dreams that, and, and the conversations you and I've had over the years that, that Steve must've felt so comfortable, the comfort zone, as you've, as you've said many times with you and Lonnie and, and just the ideas it just, they just sound like they were flowing like endlessly during those six yes. or eight weeks in the studio. And, and we did discuss it. It yeah. was at night. We would listen to those tapes and, and we would discuss all of, all of that. And, and I remember one specific night and my point that I wanted to get across to Steve and Lonnie, we stood up pretty late. I said, it's already seemed like we're making a record that is quite diverse. And there's a lot of it. I said, Let's stay on this. Let's try to make each song do something unto itself. Mm-hmm. So that's why Steve, when he figured it out, he goes, there's too much here. I'm going to make the two records. So let's keep going. I and see. we did. Yeah. And we yeah. kept everything. Because if you go from song to song, they're all different rhythmically and sonically. I mean, yeah. if Wild Mountain Honey has nothing to do with, with Eagle, really. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with Keep On Rockin' Me became our number one big single. And that is a an, an animal all to itself. And yeah. they all have a different tempo and a different attack on them. And it kept both records diverse. Yeah. And Take the Money and Run, I think, is its own separate masterpiece. You know, it's... it's... We're fooling with that one. And... Yeah. I remember just yelling to Steve. I said, I have an intro. <laughs> he said, okay, well, the same thing happened with Swing Town, you know, um, and our discussions with that. I mean, and Steve, of course, on that intro, he said, let me hear it. Play it. He goes, yeah. but if it's really good, I'm not going to stop the song. and We just keep going. Okay. I said, okay, make sure I can see you through the window. Okay. Very good. So I did the intro. And we kept going. And that was Take the Money and Run. Oh, man. What an intro. And he said yes. I mean, you know, somebody could easily cut you off at the knees and just say, no, no, no. Yeah. But but no, no, no. Everything was, yeah. That's working. Okay, we'll do it again. Now, Swingtown was, uh, I'll get away from Eagle just for a minute, but Swingtown was that same same, uh, uh, equation. Okay. Except when we were playing it, and originally, um, Steve took a break and had to call Capitol Records, and me and Lonnie were in the room, and between you and me, and I even admitted it to Steve, I said, you know, um, I looked at Lonnie, and he looked at me, and we both kind of went, I don't know, I don't know about this one, what's going on here? (laughs) And I said, and it was really easy, we figured it out, I said, well, it sounds like the song needs a place to come from. We have to, we have to write, put up something in front of that, so it's got a place to come from and go to. We're playing the go to, and yeah. we haven't come from anywhere yet. Yeah. So yep. I said, look, I know the tempo. I've got an old uh, uh, marching drum cadence. I, I I wrote. I got ready my my two years at University of Buffalo, which was was a feeble attempt at that. I said, no, I'm not <laughs> staying here. I'm going to hit the world. Okay, so I took what I came up with. I said, look, I'm going to play this drum cadence. I'll do the whole thing just here. You come up with a bass line and slide it underneath me no more than three or four notes, okay? And just and he came up with that in two seconds. 
and we're playing it and playing it. Steve came back into the room. He heard it from outside. He said, got on the microphone over the headset. He said, don't stop. Stop. Start again. We're going to fade that up. Keep playing it until I tell you to go to the next letter A. And that's how Swingtown became Swingtown. Oh, man. Another masterpiece. Yeah, just another masterpiece. It was exactly a marching drum key. Yeah. That I had written out for like 14 pieces, you know, five snare drums and four tom-toms and bass drums. And and I said, well, I'll I'll melt it down to just me and my bass drum and and the hi-hat. Let's see if we can pull this. And there you go. I love that. And Steve was yes to everything. Yes. Well, you got to have that. Yeah, exactly. Well, he knew he knew he had a good thing. He had, you know, lightning in a bottle. Um, I wanted for two months. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you, Gary, I can't see in this photo. Now, were you using the Gretsch brass shell snare at this time as well? I had a Rogers Dynasonic on that. And I still... John, I've kept all my snare drums, pretty much, my four, 12 or 13 special snare drums throughout the years since high school. And I've kept almost all of my cymbals. But I never kept, except, go back to the picture, those toms. Yep. Those toms. I still have those toms. Those three. Wow. Those three. I still have them. And I put them away. And I said, you know what? I'm going to keep these. And only did I keep cymbals and snare drums, and I have them all. Incredible. Yeah. So there you go. So I had a Rogers Dynasonic with the – it had the uh, suspension bar on the snares, like like a little bridge, you know, and that that was there. I still have that. I think now that you say – I think you showed me that once. um, Now that I I remember that, yes, exactly, the Rogers Dynasonic. What a sound. Well, I'm going to I'm going to play the track in a second. Um, I, I was going to just ask you, and I think I already know the answer to this. But so this was the first time you and Lonnie had worked together on this on this record. This was yeah. you guys had just met. And we, yes, it was another meeting with Lonnie. I knew Lonnie worked with a lot of the San Francisco bands before he worked with the, the guy, Paul uh, Cipollina and the guys in Hot Tuna and some of those branch off bands and, 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 and they knew each other, you know, that, that intense San Francisco scene, which I was of course, you know, on the outside of that one, but I came in, but I came into the San Francisco stuff purely from Van Morrison when Van moved from Woodstock to Fairfax. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then I follow, I came out with him and that's how that, uh, that flow began. Uh, them knowing Van Morrison's some of the Moondance band guys were moved with him out there. I see. Yeah. So that started to uh, you know infiltrate a little bit. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. let's um let's play a little bit of the track and we'll we'll come back and talk about it in a minute. The full version because it's you know the accompaniment of of everybody of course is uh <laughs> is is the beauty okay, of this. I'm song. following you, John. You, you're you're leading the way here, sir. All right, here we go. Children 
Yes, yes. One more thing about that song. Yes. Um, and a lot of people really kind of miss it. You hear what he's saying? He's talking about something back in 1975, which is today. Yeah. Take care of the people. It's a yes. social condition. I mean, Absolutely. Listen to what that thing is delivering. It's a lifting of one spirit. I mean, Steve, was, as far as I was concerned, I mean, Steve was ahead of the game. What he was saying and house the people and feed the, feed the people and, you know, put some right. shoes on these feet that kids. I mean, is that not today? I know. No, you're absolutely right. You're right. I Yeah. You know, we're not just talking. Look, look, look. Songs can do whatever they want to do. Songs are like the only creatures in the world that can do whatever they want to do. We know that. Um, you know, pop songs can just be wonderful and they can send messages and I don't have to teach you that. They can all do what they want to do. But he was saying something. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people kind of like... Um, they, they really don't hear that lyric. And when they do, they go, oh, there's a whole nother layer there. Yeah. yeah. Talking it, about it, the lifting of the, the spirit. I'm glad really. you mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. 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 That's, That's what that song is. Well, while, while we stuck to- it's working, so I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea it would do. I mean, here it is. We're over, what, 45 years later? And I'm receiving, I, I mean... The airplay that gets around the world, I'm just like going, I couldn't have called that. Yeah. I, I really couldn't have, you know. And notice how we featured Wahim. I know. It's beautiful. Bring that yeah. organ up. Bring him, <laughs> yeah. bring him up. Let him, let him go, man. That was good. <laughs> well, you answered a question I had for later. I'm going to ask real quick. So when you, I mean, I, you know, it, it's, it may sound like a, a silly question, but did you... Did you have an idea that this would have the kind of longevity that it, it has had? Like you said, almost 50 years now where this is like instilled in like regular rotation. If you turn on satellite radio, you hear this song. Um, the only thing that I was sure of is I thought rhythmically and tempo wise, it would sustain a long time because people, they just, they could just move right there. And today, Anything a lot of the rap guys are doing and stuff, you watch them when they film them in the studios and they're right, right there. And, and then when that's moving and bobbing back and forth, that yeah. stuff, it's, it, it, you know, rhythm just, just it, it has a life of its own. But I knew rhythmically, I said, this is going to do something. <laughs> something. <laughs> but not Man. as long as, wow. Yes. And the message in there, uh, I'm waiting for the first set of interviewers on this song to hear that. Yeah. I haven't heard it yet. I'm going, are they listening to those lyrics? Going along with that rhythm that you can move to? That's that's my favorite rock and roll always. And, you know, you're bobbing. You're going, okay, okay. You know, know, I've got my favorite guys and... You know, hey, look, if I mention three or four drummers, I'm leaving out 30 or 40 guys that we can talk about. But, uh, right. you know, there's certain guys that will that magic song will be there and they'll just handle it beautifully. Yeah, that that is that that tempo is is it's such a sweet spot for just, you know, like you say, just moving. And it's it's just right there yeah. in this. Yeah. Yeah, it still works. It's it works today. There's songs that. You know, we all have our favorites, you know. I mean, you, you know, you know, uh, John, you see people's lists of their, they think the favorite, best 50 songs in rock and roll are, you know, and I'm going, <laughs> I never agree with it. And I go, okay, well, all right, all right. So if you got, you know, a hundred lists from a hundred different people, there will be a hundred different lists of completely songs that are like okay whatever so at that point i learned a long time ago to just leave that one alone (laughs) everybody will find what talks to them yeah yeah in both rhythm and 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 mood and and all of that i mean look in reference to some of the stuff i've done i never knew what for a minute if i may i I never knew moon dance would do it what it does now I, I would never have thought they can't yeah. even categorize that out. 
because you know Moondance itself is you know swing bebop kind of, but it's it's not going to be something the way Coltrane would write it. I mean, it's it's a song, and you go straight ahead with it. But look at all the other stuff that's on that record. Ah. And you go, oh wow. So you know, yeah. always always you know be diverse and, and and strive for that. And I think it makes for everyone a far more interesting record and uh, of, of thoughts and ideas to play back and to have you know yeah my yeah. favorite records yeah we all have our own favorite records we gotta leave i leave that one alone i go no 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 i'm not going to recommend anything to you and <laughs> I, no i'm not going to do that and i won't do that and you just find your stuff and tell me about it okay and tell me why well i, will I always tell you. do that Moon Dance is is right up there in my favorites, along with this record. So no coincidence that you're on both of those records because they're well, so special. So you know the the team that was in the studio, which was really the three of us. You know there was some magic stuff going on with a, for a lot of the band. Then I remember there are some really cool records that were all coming out. You know everybody was contributing. You know those who really paid attention they were, yeah they were in that yeah. studio for days i mean i would sleep on those couches <laughs> i wouldn't leave captain tower i just slept there why not it was nice and comfortable and you just <laughs> lay it back again again no again again it's there you go you you know the process you got to be in it yeah heavily to, to come up with that and 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 love being there yeah i yeah. mean I'm, I'm still doing that i just I'm working on this new my 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 trilogy and 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 this third one I'm going to put in at least three thousand hours of just listening and play back and rewrite you know play everything live for real there's no machinery going to take over we're doing that but what the song is doing and its inner workings is what we adjust right yeah all right well I'm gonna I'm gonna finish out this track. We'll listen to it. And I was going to ask you now, the um, the ride symbol is a 22-inch? Yes, is it a 22-inch? 21-inch, and I have that. It's an you home. have that. And it's an A-Zildjian, yes. I think, and, and right? It was, yeah, it was beginning to, you know, if you don't put the uh, the little uh, Oh, the grommet. Yeah. On, on, yeah. And so the symbol will start to look like a keyhole. So you got to be careful. I said, uh-oh. Yes. Um, you know, and I left my protractor at home. That's my... My little symbol, I, I brought it to Zildjian, but I don't think they're going to want to make it. So I keep my own program. It's my design because it broke in half and I kept using it. Right, so I, right. That's fine. Like, okay. And the, they don't and have the, to make it, but I'll just keep it for me. <laughs> the, chine, the, the, the trashy symbol that we hear in this song, we hear so much in other songs. And that, that was an actual swish, a 22-inch Zildjian? Oh, 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 you mean the one in, 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 in the keeping... Keep on rocking me, baby. That's in the intro. That's, yes. That's, and then when I hit it, it's a split from the the curved edge up. It's split and it moves around the symbol. Okay, twenty two inch, and part of it is carved out, so I could stop the splits from continuing. Uh, uh, China or Peng? Uh, uh, China, I would believe. What, I think what it differ was. Uh, differentiate uh, between Peng and the China? The Peng. Yeah, we. I know that. That's always the big question. And a, a pang has a sort of flat edge, and this has a swish, or China this has an up, upturn. Is, so it's, is, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's it. I've got it. I got the picture. I took a picture of it. It's in my garage, so it's there. Okay. You could use it if you want. I'll bring it up. I'll send it up to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the same symbol. That's, you're using it on this song as well, that same cracked? Uh, it's there. Swish. It's there. I didn't hit it that much. It's there because... Because this was a different natured song, so I thought that that would be offensive. But yeah. I certainly didn't think that way and keep on rocking me. I said, no. As a matter of fact, the staff engineer, he said, you might want to take that symbol down. I said, no. <laughs> Just because you want me to take it down, I'm not taking it down. He loved it. He said, no, 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 that's that's, that's cool. I'm, I like it. We're, so we're done. Yeah. Well, you, I, I'm hearing, a, I'm hearing a, a, a Chinese or a trashy sound at the end of each um, verse when you That's, do the fill. That goes in. Yeah, that is that. Okay, so. Yep. Living in the street. Oh, 
I, I, I thought so. Right here, coming up. part right here Time keeps on slipping, slipping, what you and Lonnie are playing Shuffle, eighth note, shuffle kind of feel. sticks at that tom-tom yes that right there at the end is another what i call it's just a throwdown. yes I, yep. i'd have to show it to you i don't actually throw my sticks at it they're in my hand but i just i just release them for a moment and let them do whatever they're going to do and pull them back yeah you know it's just a little technique but understand yeah you got to get out there and you got to make this work in every musical condition you could possibly get yourself into and pull yourself in and pull yourself out and um, real tempo, watching it work live. Um, I don't know. That uh, all I, c- I could just conclude with that is um, that helped make that work. Yeah. You know, it's 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 no different than theater for an actor. You just get out there and you subject yourself to that, and um, it's either going to tear apart or it's, it's going to go forward. Well, it's it's beautiful playing, Gary, especially what you're playing on the ride, too, during the chorus. That, like, it's like a broken 16th pattern that you're playing there in that. Yes. I don't, yeah, it's just, and it, again, I just, I, I can't explain it any better, for me anyway, how clean and precise it is. And, and what you're saying is exactly, I'm sure, the, the case that that comes from just getting out there and playing and doing gigs and, and knowing yeah. how to, yeah, I know, I know, what a concept, but you know, not taking shortcuts. I think the way, you know, people want to take shortcuts today, but that's just some, some, you know, stellar um, drumming. I've, I, I started out at, at five and they wouldn't put a drum kit underneath me until I reached, I had to go through three books. Yeah. So in a way I'm really, um, concert prepared. Cause I was in all the bands throughout grammar school, high school and, and all that I had, all that training. One of my teachers was uh, uh, John Rowland from the Buffalo Philharmonic, and uh, you know I was at his performances, reading along with him. So I have all of that in my back pocket that yeah. I hardly pull out. The only thing I keep from that is it's it's focus. 
I don't usually apply that to what I call street music because that's a different world. Right. But I I do apply it, but I I uh, I sneak it in with just a bit. <laughs> just, just I know it's there, and I could use it when it's the right time to to go there and then pull away. You know, and and and, and that also includes every category of music we now have at our listening. Everything yeah. that ever happened, everything from the jazz world to the world of reggae to the world of all 70 years of rock and roll and on and on and on. And on. Oh. It's all there. It's a, it's, a, it's a lesson. This listening to that, it's like it's a it's a master class. Thank you. Well, you know, in recording, I, you, you really got to focus in on what's going on, what you're playing, how you're getting, achieving what you're achieving, and especially on that playback. I mean, my hours in the studio are probably a third of my life. And that wanting to perfect and make something be very focused is, is, is crucial. And, yeah. and I, don't, I don't know how many people that's in, you know. I mean, that's either there or not. And uh, that's just the way I apply it. And make sure it's appropriate. What's this song? You know, it's always, what is this song going to do? Yeah. Where, where are we going with this? Thing? What's going to be its amperage, its velocity? What's, what, you know, I, I'm not the same guy that played on, you know, Crazy Love with Van Morrison or Into the Mystic or with Springsteen on his ballads. That's yeah. a different set of de- dexterity that yeah. Yeah. you use or you don't, you put it away. I don't need that. I'm going to. I'm going to set up my drums this way, and then that will make me apply correctly. How we Gary. Doing, yeah, good. Oh, Gary, I love you, brother, so much. Thank you. You too, John. I call, I call you Sir John or King John, and, and, and you deserve the title. I mean, you are, you are well, well threaded throughout the drum world, and that's wonderful. Keep going. Thank, thank you. I'm thank glad you. There. That means the okay. world, Gary. Thank you. And I... I treasure our long friendship and, and I will look forward to having you back on here for more track talks and, and, uh, and continuing. So thank you. And and if you can give my best to all the men and women that are doing this, I sure will. I sure will. I sure will. And they, they thank you. They're all watching and I thank you. And Rick Murata sends his best to you, by the way, he just called before you. Now, Rick, I consider him my brother. He lives on. He lives somewhere else. I'm over here doing this, and we're all good. We'll all get together and we'll discuss all the workings of all of it. Yes, we will. Yes, <laughs> it'll take five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Sit tight for one second, and we'll we'll end the broadcast and, and we'll say goodbye. Thanks for watching, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in for Track Talk. We'll see you again real soon. That's my show. Thank you for watching Track Talk with Gary Malibur. Fly like an eagle. I look forward to seeing you again soon. In the meantime, don't forget, when in doubt, leave it out. And no drummers are ever harmed on Live from My Drum Room or Track Talk. Okay, see you soon.